we are so far behind on meeting the demand for home building. It's staggering. We could build 108,000 units tomorrow in San Diego, and we would just catch up on where our deficit is on demand. Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Brian Underwood. Brian, how are you doing today? Very well, Todd. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. A little bit about Brian. Brian's the founding principal of Responsible Real Estate, a San Diego-based real estate investment company. And uh, he started the company after spending more than 10 years in his family business, A1 Self Storage. Uh, Castor Properties, um, and they are Brian's company right now is, is like I said, based in San Diego. They're focused on development, um, and looks like some conversion as well. So, with that said, though, Brian, why don't you give our listeners a bit more about your background, what you're doing today, what your main focus is, and uh, then we'll dive in. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate that. So, like you said, I spent more than 10 years in our family business that started sort of way back, call it 2007. Uh, been in real estate since 2004 or five is when I really got exposed to it outside of the family business. Um, there's kind of a whole story there. I won't bore you with that. Maybe we'll, we'll save that for another time, but uh, got into real estate, um, bought my first piece of land in 2005. And mm. about six months later, uh, kind of made, triple the investment. And so that's when I really got hooked. And uh, again, 2005, things were really good. A lot of stuff um, rising. So I didn't have to be super smart, but I'll take luck whenever it's given to me. Um, after, after that stint of really going down the rabbit hole in real estate and, and the fundamental question I was trying to ask myself way back then was how do you, how do you value a piece of real estate? Um, how do you look at a building or piece mm -hmm. of land and, and say that's worth X? And so um, I, I read a lot of books. I got my salesperson license. You know, ultimately, like I said, I, I, I borrowed some money. I put together a business plan and borrowed some money and bought some land. So, you know, it worked out, which was great. And so I sat back and said, okay, how do I, how do I get better at this? And my family has a, a, a real estate company. And so I went and knocked on the door and I said, here's what I've been doing. And, uh, you know, I, I want to learn from, from you guys. I want to get in. I, I mean, um, I want to be in acquisitions. I, I sort of, I, I like the hunt aspect of it. And so uh, back in 2007, um, I got my way into the family business. And uh, in that 10-year period from 07 to 17, a lot of stuff happened, not to mention a big recession. Yeah. And it was at that recession that we did a couple interesting deals, but I also went back and furthered my education and got a master's in real estate from the University of San Diego. In that 10-year period with the family, oh gosh, I mean, I, I wore a lot of different hats because it's a small family business, you know, it, small in, in terms of the number on how much what we were doing. At the time, we owned 48 self-storage companies and we were well on our, excuse me, we were at 45 and uh, well on our way to, to 60 by the time that I left there. And so I was fortunate enough to, um, got to deploy $60 million buying land throughout the state of California and also a couple opportunities in Texas. And 
I just learned the skill of finding sites, knowing what we were looking for, knowing how to contact owners, knowing how to create relationships and, and putting deals together, um, manage contracts, managed all the due diligence items. I went through and, you know, sat in front of a planning commission and, and got entitlements for a million and a half square feet of self-storage over that 10 year period. And boy, yeah, did I learn a ton. So that's a, a little bit in a nutshell of, of sort of where I came from. And uh, now where we're headed today, I think was your next question is I'm focused on home building, uh, mainly here in San Diego. Now, I'm just getting ready to wrap up me, Brian Underwood, responsible, residential, uh, just getting ready to go full circle on our very first property here in San Diego. It's a 10 unit townhome development that we uh, designed and built as a build to rent product. And so we are about 30 days away from getting our final moving in tenants. And ultimately we're going to put that up on the market and we're going to sell that as a 10 unit investment property. Nice. Brian, why did you, you know, you're in the your family business, self-storage. Why are you now doing residential? Is there, is there a specific reason or what, what's, the, what's the push there? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, going back to being in the family business and recognizing at a point in time that the family business isn't for me long term, hmm. mainly um, a couple of questions that I had to sit back and answer to myself was, you know, are you fine um, just kind of going through the motions in life? You know, you have ultimate security and you make a great paycheck and you're getting, you know, maybe some pieces of some deals along the way but I was not growing professionally. I wasn't growing spiritually. I wasn't yeah. growing in my, in my family. And um, I had to sit back and say, you know, what are you willing to do to replace that? And ultimately I got to a point where I had to be okay with um, giving up being the CEO of our billion dollar family business. And I had to be okay with sitting down and that being offered to me and saying, no, I'm going to go do something else because growth is more important to me than just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. And that happened wow. in 2017. Wow. That, <laughs> yeah, probably hard to give up too, right? Uh, was it hard to give up or was it just an easy decision? Did you, did you say this is, this is just the path? Uh, how was it, that? It, it, uh, it took time. I mean, I'm, you know, married of kids, uh, yeah. you know, house, right. So I'm going from, like I said, ultimate security, but mm. I viewed it as really um, almost no potential. I mean, again, mm. I, I could have a job and I could have a title, but there is not much um, creativity or, or growth kind of put in my position where, you know, you can go and create stuff out of nothing. Uh, it's just kind of keep your head down. You'll be fine in 20 years. And so when I realized that I'm going to be better off in a growth position, it was, a, it was a relatively easy decision to make, albeit lots of planning, right? So um, I just viewed it as, you know, I was sacrificing or giving up ultimate security with no potential with, you know, a, a bunch of risk, but unlimited potential. And I, I fell into home building because when I transitioned out of the family business, I didn't want to compete head on head with them. I think there was a little bit of fear that I would go out and start another self-storage company, which would be logical. But um, there are so many ways to create wealth in real estate. And the skill set that I learned and developed over that 10-year period, I could apply to just about any product. And when I left the business, 
I put my broker hat on for the first time and landed a couple land deals, okay? Landed a couple broker deals that were land for residential development. And that's when I really started reaching out to my network here in San Diego, everyone that I know is in the home building industry and saying, okay, I, I need to learn this product. I, I know everything about selling a piece of land, really buying a piece of land, because that's what I did. So just reverse the role. Now I'm trying to sell a piece of land for somebody, but I need to understand what that end product is. And what I discovered is that in San Diego, and I know a lot of other markets, we are so far behind on meeting the demand for home building, it's staggering. We could build 108,000 units tomorrow in San Diego, and we would just catch up on where our deficit is on demand, wow. let alone we've got to build another 15,000 every single year just to keep up with natural demand. And you know we're building like in... 2021, we were six, we might be 7,000 this year. I mean, we don't even touch 10,000. So it's just this compounding issue. And so me, I scratch my head and I say, okay, <laughs> um, I'm going to be a pro at home building because I know how to find sites. I know the process of putting together capital. I know the process of getting things entitled. What I don't know is how to build a home. And so what, we, what I did over the last, uh, I, I really three years is what, where the focus has been is put together a team that really has come alongside me who are professional home builders. I mean, these are people who have uh, right here in San Diego, uh, 40, 50 years experience of building tens of thousands of homes. And now we have those people on our team to get product out of the ground. And are you, are you, do you partner with them? Do you hire them? How does that work? Yeah. So the core team, they're all partners in our deals. Okay. So yep. we not, not uncommon. we form single purpose entities for every single deal yep. and they don't have to be a part of it, but we we're a really good team. We complement our skills. Um, sure. we, we have two brands. One brand is responsible residential that's focused on townhomes and single family home builder rent communities. And we have our second home building brand, which is responsible urban. And that's building really infill uh, market rate apartment communities our first one, Responsible Urban, is, is designing and building 89 apartments in North Park here in San Diego. And we're about halfway through our design development with our architectural and design team to get into plan check in November. Are, is your company then keeping the assets or are you typically selling those assets? The, yeah, the goal is to uh, hold these assets long term, but I will say that my, you know, my personal cash before we present opportunities to potential investors, I, I'm I'm in on this deal. You know, usually I'm out already a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's not coming back to me, right? Yeah. So uh, the way that deals come together. So uh, I'm spending that upfront money, the pursuit capital to get deals to a place that now we're ready to go out to our investors. And so my money is right alongside every single one of our investors. And I'm making decisions the best that I can, not just for me, but for them and all of our capital. So let me give you an example. The Santee Townhome Project, we had planned on holding that long-term. Well, those things are worth more money today on paper than they would be when I started the project on a 10 year hold. Okay. Hmm. And that's because uh, of a couple different things, not necessarily cap rate compression, but really where rents have gone in a two year period as we've been working through this project. Well, we're going to sell that. 
because someone's willing to pay me more money than I'd be willing to pay for that asset today. So in that case, in, in a, yeah. about a two and a half year hold, we're going to be returning our investors capital and everyone's going to walk away, you know, uh, uh, doing pretty good in a, in a two and a half year period. Now, if we, if we chose to hang on to that and cash flow it, it's a phenomenal asset, but you, you've got to take some chips off the table when it makes sense. in, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, <clears throat> it sounds before we started, you were talking about some interesting stuff. Let's, let's, dive into that if, if that's okay sure. um you're talking about doing a conversion and uh, into some short-term rental um stuff so let's dive into that yeah but i have a business partner sean jones who has become an expert on short-term rentals and one of the things that we're seeing with our responsible urban brand which is building market rate apartments and what's happening in san diego is a a restriction of short-term rental units and they passed City of San Diego passed an ordinance to restrict the amount of short-term rentals allowed in the city of San Diego. Mm -hmm. This is going to take effect in about 10 months. And so what we're seeing is an opportunity to actually build market rate apartments, but designate a portion of those apartments as what's called visitor accommodation. Visitor accommodation is a technical term in the municipal code that allows for short-term rentals. So as the city of San Diego further restricts short-term rentals, we're adding to the supply through our market rate apartments. Now we can rent those visitor accommodation units on 12 month leases. We could also rent them one, two or three nights in a row uh, you know, as, as a short-term rental. Hmm. And so seeing this on the horizon, what we chose to do is actually buy a very awesome, well-positioned asset in Bay Park community here in San Diego. 20 studio apartments, and we're undergoing a rehab on that entire um, project. We have our first unit that we're getting ready to rent. And so what we're doing is converting all those units into short-term rentals. Not only did it, did it make sense on this particular value add scenario from a financial standpoint, we raised two and a half million dollars, 506B syndication on this deal, but it's helping us hone our skills on the future product that we're going to be building in the market rate apartments. And we're gonna be sprinkling in again, the opportunity to capture the new newly uh, new demand that the city's created on the short-term rentals. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's cool. I know that was kind of a mouthful, but um, it's it's very myopic, but when you're in the weeds, you, you spot opportunities like that. Well, and that's, that's the key though, as, a, as a, an entrepreneur, you've gotta be looking at what's what's here today, but what's also coming, where, where are the futures? You're always trying to look at where the future is going to be. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to do here is go, well, this is an opportunity. This is certainly coming. And this provides us a, a pretty good value opportunity to convert these into short-term rentals. Right. Right. And what we, what we, um, what we're doing as, as we raise capital and we put together the capital stack for this large project, a lot of what uh, investors and lenders want to see is they want to see, well, how does it function as a, a just a typical apartment project? We want to make sure that underwrites and if they, if they you know, because we know apartments are there. We know the demands there. There's so much transparency in yep. the marketplace. We know really what yep. the rental rates going to be. Um, they don't really understand necessarily the short-term rental side yet, but 
if we can pencil, you know, raise the capital and get the project out of the ground based off of an apartment project, we know that there's tremendous upside by turning 20 of those units into short-term rentals and operating them. And so that starts from the, the very beginning. We're working with our design team and we are strategically thinking about where are these 20 units going to be located and how are we going to manage them as part of the entire program, uh, you know, the 89 unit program that we have to manage. So now you're, you're essentially in the hotel business. Are you guys still managing, um, are you, do you manage your, your own stuff right now in-house and are you going to manage this in-house? Uh, not yet. I, I think we will get there. Um, right now we're using a company called Vacasa, uh, which is large. They've been buying yep. up a lot of the short-term rental companies around town. Um, so no, we, we are using Vacasa now. Um, we, we plan to use them in the future, but I do think down the road, there's an opportunity to create a management brand for short-term rentals. Absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's dive into to some things that, you know, you feel like has really helped propel your success and success in the family business success and what you're doing right now. You know, what are some of the success habits? that have really helped you, you know, grow and uh, become just, I guess, a better, a better business owner? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. And I, it, it goes back to actually, you know, one of the biggest reasons why I left the family business is I'm on the hunt for growth. And I'm also on the hunt to do business with good people. So mm. in my opinion, those are two really good things to implement into your daily life. Yeah. If you find yourself going through the motions, figure out how to rotate out of that and get into a position of growth. Mm. Um, when you talk about doing business, we can't pretend to know everything. It's impossible. Uh, but what I try to do is I try to find the best people out there that can complement what I'm looking for and do business together. And so when you look at the five of us in Responsible Urban, you got Mike, Jake, Casey, Sean, and I. I mean, these are some of the, the, the Sean, Casey, Jake, and Mike are some of the best individuals that you will meet on this planet Earth. And I'm just so lucky enough that I get to be partners with them and do business with them every single day. Uh, but I do believe that getting yourself in a position of growth and seeking those best individuals to do business with, uh, you find them because just good people attract each other. You will find them, but it's just about surrounding yourself with people who complement your skill set to help you get where you need to go because yeah. you're never going to get there by yourself. Yeah. And I think it's so easy as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I know I, I'm, I was guilty of this to think you can do it all yourself um, because yeah, you, you maybe can, but to, to what extent, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, so yeah, absolutely. See, see usually, usually people. you're sacrificing, you know, uh, maybe something in your personal life, marriage, yeah. kids, uh, yeah. maybe you're sacrificing health. Um, you know, it, it's probably all of that to tell you the truth, but you know, it, it, it comes, you know, what's important in life. And to me, um, people are extremely important and the process is extremely important. I mean, I feel blessed and lucky that I get to work in this field every single day, uh, not just make money at this field, but also work with other people and create wealth alongside other people. I mean, it's just, 
it's like a pinch me moment every time I wake up. And isn't it more so much more fun, at least, you know, speaking from a, a guy who's done it himself, it's so much more fun to have partners that, that you, you know, you, like you said, like you talked about your partners, they're the, they're the, the best people on the earth, you know, when you're surrounding yourselves with, with that type of people, with people that have a lot of the same mentality as you, the same ethics, you know, that type of stuff, it's just so much more fun to do business and life with them. Yeah, absolutely. And not only is it more enjoyable, but I, you know, all the rest of your, your life stuff that is, is sometimes, or should be more important, like your wife and your kids, uh, you know, you have time for them when you're going it alone, you know, you just feel like if I don't wake up and make a phone call or get on my computer, no one else is, nothing's happening. Nothing's right. Happening. And, and, and what you did, I mean, you just, you created a job for yourself. Well, yeah. I'm not trying to create a job for myself. There's plenty of things to do. I'm, <laughs> I want to create a, I want to create a, a long-term business that's going to be there way after Brian Underwood's gone. Right. Yeah. And that's because you've created you've created systems and you've partnered with good people who see the vision and know where we're headed. Um, How do you I, I don't have enough hours in the day, you know? Uh, it's always an interesting question. You know, we talk about work life balance and, you know, some people are like, well, it's not possible. Um, how do you, you know, navigate through that, through, through making sure you're not, you know, you're wanting to grow your business. I can tell just by talking with you that you're passionate about the business and that you enjoy seeing that growth. And that's an important part, but that you've got a family too and you know, health and all that kind of stuff. So w anything that you do, um, checks or, or anything that you do to, to make sure you're showing up in both. Yeah, no, that's, uh, man, another, another great question. Um, well, it's, it's really easy for us entrepreneurs to track how well we're doing in business. Yeah. Sometimes it's not that easy to check how well we're doing in life. Hmm. Um, I mean, you can see because we live and breathe our business, we, we, we see progress or we see decline quickly and we know where we need to pick it up. Um, I have three young kids, boys that are eight, my daughter's five, uh, been married 10 years, and I, I have to check in with my wife daily. <laughs> and one thing that I make sure is that, I mean, I'm home every single day by 530. I'm there to spend time with my kids. I'm there to eat dinner with my family. Uh, it's just a, it's a, since I left the family business, that's been a priority of mine. And I, I just love every bit of it. So it's, you know, I go home regular time, spend time with my family um, Sundays, uh, is our, our family day. We either do church on Saturday night or Sunday mornings, but Sunday's our day. I mean, there's no work, there's no nothing. That's our, our family day. But like everything, I think communication with my wife is key. She's going to shoot me straight. She's going to tell me where we're lacking, where we need some, some more work, where, where things are missing. Um, and so I welcome that because as an entrepreneur, a lot of times we just, we just go right? We just, we're, we're just pedal to the metal. We go. Yeah. And, uh, it, it takes a good partner to be able to say, okay, we, we need some time or we need to work on X, Y, and Z. And so, uh, it's another good partnership. We, we always, as, as business owners want like 
we want accountability partners, right? And sometimes we don't think our spouse, our, our husband, or our wife is an accountability partner for us. Like, make sure you're talking with your spouse or, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend uh, to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. look, am I showing up? Not at work, not at my business, but am I showing up with our family? You know, am I showing up uh, in our relationship? Um, that's an accountability partner and you've got to take advantage of that. Uh, something I need to work on. Certainly. I think probably most of us do. We, I think uh, we all do. Yeah. 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 But it, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in it. And I, and I have kind of that rule too, is I'm done with work at by five 30. Um, but if I were saying this in front of my wife and kids, they would roll their eyes, shake their head, and maybe give me a little laugh because I'm constantly still working. It feels like a lot of times I try to shut it off, but I catch myself taking a phone call or responding to a text message or quick looking at my email or something like that. So it's so hard to do, uh, but I think it's, it's so important. I always be trying to work on that as well. We implemented a phone box at the house. We're still Mm -hmm. new at this. So, but it's been about, uh, maybe we're four months in or so. And so it's in the laundry room when I come in and I will, I will check my phone, but it will be when I put the kids down, um, is when I'll check my phone. And, and, you know, with that little phone in our pocket, work is literally a a buzz away. And, And sometimes your wife and your kids, you know, they don't know that your phone just buzzed. And if you're in the middle of a conversation with your son or your daughter or your wife and that phone buzzes, where does our head go? Right. Our, right, right away. I mean, I just stopped listening. I'm thinking, yep. okay, what is that? I got to figure it out. Who's so texting me? who's calling me. Who, that's right. And you know, there are, you know, I have a, a, a certain set of family members that, that the phone will ring right? You can set like a, you could program them that the phone will ring, even though, uh, even though it's, you know, it has like a different ring to it, I should say. Um, so I know if I should run and answer my phone, if it's like an emergency, but at the same time, closing that phone away allows me to spend those moments that are so few in, in, in Mm. the course of the entire day, like absolutely present with my wife and kids when we're up and we're spending time together. And the kids go to bed, I can check my phone. If there's absolute emergencies, we can go for it. But I'll tell you what, there's not as many as, as yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. There, there's just not. You always think, I, I got to get to that. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you show up in the office the next day and you go, oh, yeah, that email last night, you know what? It resolved itself. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even do anything. I didn't even do anything to it, right? I didn't even address it. I did nothing. But somehow it got resolved. So it's, it's little stuff. It's not easy. Um, it's certainly not easy, but it's, it's just, it's a habit, right? It's a habit that you just throw it in the box. You know, it's going to be another two and a half hours before my kids go down. Let me be present with my family, spend some quality time with them. And in two and a half hours, I'll check my phone. I'll put it back. We're good. Love it. Love it. What's a mistake that you've made? How have you learned from it? How can you teach our audience uh, something about it? So uh, being, you know, really thinking that you know everything or 
maybe you're afraid to ask the question because mm. you don't want to look like you don't know what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, I, I, I just got into real estate. I have no idea what that term is, or I can't ask that question because they're not going to, they're not going to invest with me if I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, oh, yeah. it's impossible to know everything. Yeah. I, I think people are looking for an individual who's motivated, has high integrity. Uh, you know, ultimately they trust you. They say, yeah. I believe this guy is going to do what he says he's going to do. And then on top of that, you're delivering investment opportunities to that investor that, that they're already looking for. So uh, you, you just can't know everything. I think you, it, it, so I, I think that's the, the, the misconception and where maybe, you know, I've certainly gotten trouble is, uh, you know, early on is just not asking the question, like, just say, well, what is that? I'm, I don't, I don't know it. I'm, I'm here to get better. I'm trying to learn <laughs> and I'm still learning 17 years later. So yeah. Yeah. Being a little vulnerable, right. To, to open yourself up to, to some of those questions. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you can feel like, oh crap, if I ask that question, then people don't think I'm an expert. Right. And right. so it's easy to think and, and, or just, or just be the guy who's so arrogant that thinks they know everything. Of course, that's a, even a worse position to be in, but, yep. um, yeah, like you said, you don't, you don't know everything and you, you're, you're going to constantly learn. It's amazing. I, I do some, some, uh, coaching and fairly recently, I mean, I had a, one of my clients that taught me a bunch of stuff and I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, he, he taught our, and we now implement what he taught us for some of our underwriting, you know, it was great but you have to be willing to be open to actually accept that because I could have easily been like, I know everything. I'm the one teaching you. You're not teaching right. me. Right. Right. Be easy to do, but you gotta open yourself up to it. So Brian, where, where's this, where's the business going? You know, you've self storage to, to now residential, you've got some, some short-term rental stuff kind of, moving along here, where's the business going? Where do you see this growth pattern uh, happening over the next you know, couple of years? Yeah, we, we continue to source and look at new deals. We have a couple opportunities in the pipeline for a build direct community brand responsible residential. We have uh, a couple opportunities in the pipeline with responsible urban, which is the apartment community. So what we're looking to do is, is, is put together in the next five years, either be working on or have acquired a, a pipeline of about a thousand doors here in San Diego. Uh, some of those will be coming online, you know, in, in five years from today or in lease up five years from today. And some of those we will have just bought. But the goal is to have a thousand doors over the next five years with the team that we have on build to rent. And the idea for us is to hold long-term. Um, one of the things that I've seen, not just in our large family business, but you, you just look at all the really wealthy families out there. And a lot of them have one thing in common is they own a lot of real estate yeah. and long-term uh, there's no better place to have money parked money growing and working for you and providing passive income. I mean, I've seen it. Uh, when you see 
what these products cost to get out of the ground, sometimes you, you, you fall back and you just go, holy smokes, that's a lot of money. Our 89 unit apartment project is going to cost $32 million. I mean, that's a lot of money, right? Um, we're going to be raising $12 million this year to, to capitalize that deal. Uh, that's a lot of money. But when you fast forward 10, 15 years from now, I mean, I've seen it in the storage game. Those assets, I, you, you know, you think $32 million is a lot of money, you know, and then all of a sudden that, that asset's sitting there worth $60 million. Yep. You got $20 million of debt on it and it's, it's paying you every, every single month. <laughs> right. Um, so the idea is to uh, obviously uh, grow the portfolio, um, get very nice, favorable debt that we continue to pay down over time and just have an absolute massive amount of wealth in these apartment complexes that's paying us every single month. And boy, uh, what a game changer when you talk about retirement, um, because not only do you have this income that's coming in, but the amount of wealth that you have sitting in properties long-term is, is really changes generations. How are you managing through um, labor shortages, supply shortages, you know, the increased costs of both labor and supplies? You know, you're doing these developments. You come up with a budget originally. These projects take a while to get off the ground. They don't get off the ground. You can't just snap your fingers. They're not, they're not built in a day. Uh, how are you navigating these changes? Now we've got interest rate changes. Uh, what are you doing to navigate labor, specifically when we're talking labor and material? Yeah, no, uh, great question. I can give you sort of uh, two examples. Um, so on, on our Santee townhome project, we're right in the thick of COVID and shortages. And one of the things that we did very well on that project was communicate with all the suppliers and all the subcontractors all the way through. And so when Romex was drying up, as an example, we, we bought it, put it in a warehouse mm -hmm. and just, it just sat there when garage doors are, you know, 10 week lead times, uh, we, we, we bought them early. Yeah. Just, just to, knowing that there was issues, we decided to pull the trigger on a lot of those things that were causing uh, delays yep. uh, early in, in front the, of it. Yeah. Get in front of it. So, I mean, it, that sounds obvious, but it's not to some, you yeah. just, you know, yeah. communicate with suppliers and communicate with your subs, figure out what's going to hold the job up and then start charting the path. Um, the, the, the second way that I'm going to answer that question is like um, we have a phenomenal uh, general contractor who's also a partner in our eight, 89 unit apartment project in North Park. Okay. So this general contractor is like, they have groomed their subs for the last 10 years to click on all cylinders, building hundred unit apartment projects. So it's about really aligning the team that fits the project that also uh, you know, I wouldn't partner and, and choose a general contractor unless they were good people. I trusted them. And I, ultimately, you, you want them to be partners in the deal. I want them to be partners in the deal because it m even more so aligns interests. Yeah. Okay, so I want a true, uh, the, the person building the project, I want them as a true partner.
I don't want to pull out an agreement and say, what did we, what did we bid? What was in the plans? You know, what was in our GMP? What was, you know, what did our agreement say? I want a partner at the table who is an owner rolling up their sleeves and really, uh, uh, you know, coming to a solution together with us to move this project forward. I, I don't like when a change order comes in and a general contractor benefits and the developer uh, gets hurt. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. And so uh, all of our projects moving forward, we have a GC who is owners in our project, looking at the project the same way we are from a cost standpoint, they win, we win, the project wins. It's, it's the best way to bulletproof against uh, you know, uh, unforeseen things. That, and, and in development, there's a lot of unforeseen things. You, yeah. you make a lot of guesses at it, but find the most competent general contractor, get them on your team, and, and go build that project. And these guys, they're tracking, I mean, not just with their subs, they're tracking pricing on everything. And so early on, what we do is we, we run a lot of different sensitivity analysis in our pro formas. So everywhere from uh, good things and bad things, right? If, if we get cost overruns of 5%, here's what it does to the pro forma. If we get uh, interest rates uh, jump up 200 basis points, what does our takeout look like? We, and we stress test that. So we're doing a lot of analysis. I mean, literally every week as we move through projects, because um, we're not going to submit for plan check until November. We're not going to break ground until next July. It's going to take 22 months to build the project. And then it's going to take, you know, call it six to eight months to lease this thing up. So I'm so far down the road. No one has that crystal ball. Yep. So we have to just do the best that we can today to, uh, to, to, make the best decisions we can, you know, four years from today. <laughs> yeah. And obviously that's the challenge we all know. Uh, and, you know, we're speaking today in, in what, June 2nd. And so June 2nd, 2022, there's all kinds of shifting happening. And, but at the same time, it seems like there's always shifting happening and there's always talks of, you know, inflation, recession, interest rate changes, whatever it might be. Um, so that's never gonna, that's, that's one thing you know that'll never stop, but you're buying in a market that you explained earlier has a big inventory shortage. So you know that, yeah, things can change, but one thing that you have that you understand is that there's going to be demand for your product. Yeah, our, our number one risk, Todd, is really the like the permanent financing, taking out the construction loan. Yep. That that's our that's our number one risk. And that's sure. very, very difficult. Uh there's only there's only a handful of things that we can do today to better our chances in the event things go soft. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know I know the demand's gonna be there and I know roughly what it's gonna rent up for. And even if it rent up for 50 cents less a square foot. Like we still make money. Like yeah. there, there. This is it's a healthy project. But what we don't know is interest rates. We don't yeah. know what the bank's going to underwrite the the deal at. And so, um, when I tracked and was working in self storage through the Great Recession, one of the things that I noticed, um, uh, sort of nationally, when there were operators who lost their self storages to banks, they all had one thing in common. None of them put enough money in the deal period. Yep. 
And so yeah. while it's while it may not be as good for the investors from a return standpoint, putting 35% equity in a deal, that's what we do because that's how I sleep well at night, building $32 million projects is putting 35% in a deal because there there's just, it's just math at the end of the day, I have to say, okay, you know, in, in uh, four years from today, when I need to get out of that construction loan, what's the value that I created? How do I beat it up enough to make myself feel good and still be able to get out of that construction loan? And that 35% equity is, uh, is a very healthy number. Yep. Absolutely. Love that. Um, all right. Last couple questions. One, what's a favorite book? Well, I don't know about, about your listeners, but a Bible is my favorite book. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Brian, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Yeah, starts. I mean, going off of the Bible being my favorite book, uh, I, I start my day with God every single day. So that is uh, that is pillar number one. Um, without God, then the rest of my life won't flow. Uh, pillar number two is uh, is my family. Um, so I've got God, family, and serving others would be my three pillars of wealth creation. Yes, I do work in real estate. Yes, that's how we tangibly create wealth, but Brian Underwood wouldn't be the person you need me to be as a sponsor for these deals if it wasn't first my faith, my family, and then serving other people. Love it. Powerful stuff. Good. Great. Uh, great information, Brian. Really enjoyed this conversation. Enjoyed hearing what you do, the transition you've made, uh, you know, success tips of, of, of you know, putting yourself in that growth mode, surrounding yourself with, with people, uh, you know, just, just a lot of great stuff. So how can people get in touch with you? <laughs> ah, you think I would have sprinkled that in? Like I'm yeah. still learning, man, my friend. Uh, you can find me at investwithbrian.com, investwithbrian.com. That's Brian with a Y and you can uh, connect with me there. Perfect. Really appreciate the time you've, uh, you've given us. So with that, I bid you uh, farewell, man, and uh, you have a fantastic rest of the day. Todd, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to 
coachwithdex.com and check that out. And uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.